Are you worried about climate change? Do you wonder how the next generation will survive global warming? Do you think now is the time for action but just don't know where to start? Do you think the contributions that you're making are just not enough? Why not make it your career and spend your life's work creating impact? I'm Zoe and I'm Radhishree and both of us are sustainability professionals. We are excited to be co-hosting the Green Guru podcast, a podcast all about mentorship for green careers. Hi everybody, meet our mentor today, Pratap Raju. He started off as a banker on Wall Street post his degree at Harvard, but is now one of the leaders of the climate tech entrepreneurship ecosystem in India. Pursuing a master's degree in development at Oxford was a pivotal moment, followed by an amazing journey of entrepreneurship. He's had an IT startup, been a Bollywood producer, writer, moving on to becoming a successful renewable energy developer, commissioning more than 80 megawatts of wind and solar projects. He's currently the founding partner at the Climate Collective Foundation, which is focusing on building out the climate and clean tech entrepreneurship ecosystems in South Asia and is the country head of New Energy Nexus India. As a global trainer, having trained hundreds of startups, he's leading the way to sustainability through innovation. By the way, a full disclosure, I've been working with the Climate Collective and with Pratap for the past two years now, and I've found an amazing mentor in him. It's been a steep learning experience, and I'm so excited for all the listeners to know about some parts of his journey today that I have heard a hundred of times. But when it comes to Pratap, there are always surprises. So let's dive right in. Hey, Pratap, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joey and Rajshree. I'm very excited to be here. Great. So all of this is on your LinkedIn profile and you've described this in your multiple boot camps and events. So just tell us one thing that no one knows about you. Okay. That's, that kind of caught me by surprise. No one knows about me. Like no, not even my parents. Are they listening to this podcast? I hope so. <laughs> okay, so then I have I can't mention that. <laughs> How about no one here knows about me? Sure. Okay. I was the biggest nerd possible to read the encyclopedia as a kid. It was my favorite thing. You still do. I still do. But back then, before the internet, when we had volumes, you know, <laughs> and literally they would be shipping like a once a month, A, B, C. I would read those. I still remember those. Nice. So it was quite fun. Nice. Great. Hi, Pratap. This is Rajeshree. Welcome to the Green Guru podcast. I've been hearing about your work at the Climate Collective from Zui and really excited to finally meet you and finally have you on board. Thank you for taking out time for this. I wanted to ask you a question and take you at least a couple of decades back and ask you, how does a banker on the Wall Street decide to do a master's in development? The opportunity cost, I think, would be very high considering the compensation or the job security and being able to afford a lifestyle as a banker that doesn't come easily when you get into the development space. So how did that happen? Oh, yeah, that does go back a couple of decades. Thank you for telling everyone my age. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, I was a middle class boy graduating from college. And like most of us who've never had money, it was very enticing to join Wall Street. Mm. And I remember my very first job. I had no idea what this was. In college, we'd go out uh, very infrequently because it was expensive to go out You know, once every two mm. or three weeks. Otherwise, you're eating in the dorm. And then all of a sudden, uh, I had more money than I knew what to do with. I, I remember this was like I was 22 years old. My first job and I bought a, at that time expensive an $800 coffee table. Oh. You know, and this is 20 years ago. So uh, and, and it was an art piece. It was unbelievable because I didn't mm. know what to do with the money. And so it was it was different, of course, when I first joined Wall Street. And I, all I remember now is that I put on a lot of weight. That's what I remember. You know, the, the ability to just eat out every meal was without thinking, mm. even though we take it for granted, maybe now, but back then it was like huge. So I didn't really quite like this idea of having money or making a lot of money because I couldn't quite understand what I was doing with it. And I was working super hard. It was uh, my off days were like on Sunday, I was working eight to 10 hours every Sunday. Mm. I was thinking if this is the purpose of life to make money that you don't like making, to buy uh, art pieces for coffee tables that you didn't really appreciate that much anyway, and to keep buying new clothes because your old clothes get tighter and tighter. It was enough for me after about four years to know that I needed a new direction. So that's when I went back to school and joined the development world, which I didn't know what, what the development world was. I just liked the uh, sector. And then once I graduated, I said, let's start to do some development. That's when I started, thought about coming to India. This was like yeah. 2000. Nice. And then you decided to dive straight into entrepreneurship. Was taking up a job an option at that time? I was just graduating and I moved to India. I didn't know anybody there. Uh, the first thing that hit me is I didn't have job prospects. Not that <laughs> I wasn't uh, employable. It's just that I moved here and it was a different environment, different networks. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to do because I was good at finance, but I didn't like it. And Bombay had finance. So I figured entrepreneurship could have been something to explore. And I've always wanted to be my own boss, like, like many of us, that control over what to do, when to do it, which, uh, or at least the illusion of control over when to do it was enticing. So I, I did jump right into it. It was, it was still in my 20s. I tried my first venture. Wow. And what was that first venture? Well, uh, you may be too young here to remember, but back in the old days, we, uh, we had to use newspapers, I know you remember, to find out what's, what's playing on TV. Right. And when I moved to India, it was 2001, I started this IT company. I figured, why not just put this on the channel? You know, all that. So mm -hmm. I came up with this software product where I would work with a cable operator and update them with new schedules. And uh, mm -hmm. they would open a new channel for their viewers showing what's playing currently as opposed to opening a newspaper and uh, figuring it out that way. Sound like a pretty easy idea, except that being new to India, I was on only one year into India. I didn't quite understand what this idea of cable mafia was. <laughs> okay. so, you know, it was, a little, it was very intimidating to go into some of these uh, offices and meeting people that you weren't quite sure about and try to sell a technology product back, especially back then. Yeah. Sure. We at the Climate Collective meet many youngsters who are confused if it's the right time for them to start a venture or just continue doing a job. What would be some of the parameters that they should consider make, before making such a decision, in your opinion? That's a good question. And, and, and one thing, having been an entrepreneur a long time, I've, I have gotten a, some feel for this. Mm. And I think the basic answer is, I don't know. 
I mean, I don't <laughs> think anyone knows. But right. I do know one thing is that fear is such an important factor in this that prevents us from trying. Doesn't mean that uh, we're ready to be an entrepreneur, especially if you're young, just because you want. Doesn't mean you're ready if you've worked 20 years in the job too. It just means that it prevents us from taking a risk. And that's what I have learned hmm. is that the mistakes I've made, I've had my share of bankruptcies as well, hasn't been as devastating to my life as perhaps the fear back then. You know, what if it doesn't turn out? What do I do hmm. next? And I have no money. It's very daunting versus the stability of a job. And I can't say this for everyone because some people do have a little extra privilege of, of some safety net. Others don't. So people can make their own choice. But I think we overblow this idea of stability, especially mm. when we're young, you know, that uh, we need this career path, et cetera. In fact, I think it's the other way around. I think people should do the craziest stuff when they're young, take the craziest risks and not worry about a resume and career, and then make a call later, maybe after yeah. in their 30s and all. Yeah, he really believes that every three months, Pratap tells me, take more risk. What are you doing? Take more risk. I really don't know what that means. But yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> you were also a Bollywood producer and a writer. And then you switched to becoming a solo developer. I bet there is nobody out there with a similar career trajectory right now. So was this some movie plot that you were writing and you decided that this sounds good in real life? How, how did that happen? Where did Solar come from? Well, Bollywood was, was an interesting uh, adventure for me because I was not from a film background. I like films just like everyone else. I didn't and I chose films mainly because I didn't know what to do. And that's pretty funny because we have this kind of structured programs and paths of what you should do based on your skills, et cetera. What I've seen oftentimes is people kind of bump into things, you know, jump into things or are thrown into things because of life and circumstance. I was in Bombay and without liking finance and, and not being good at IT, finance, uh, entertainment, sorry, uh, Bollywood was quite big looming large in Bombay. So I said, why not? And uh, I kind of just jumped into it. And for the same reason as, as my um, entertainment career was winding down at the uh, 2008-9 recession, so I, I kind of uh, made the same move. What do I do now? And for some reason, uh, I have a little bit less fear than many others. To jump from one to another is daunting, but it never was daunting to me. I, I always had this idea that jumping in is more than half the battle. So when I was looking at solar, I said, okay, let's do it. And it was quite a super swift transition. I think like three months going from entertainment to solar. And uh, we did get lucky because the uh, trend was going up and the national solar mission was booming or just starting mm -hmm. right now. So we caught up to that at the right time. Maybe that also helped. Hmm. But uh, I think it was more the opportunity. I think it was more just not, it was more not closing your eyes and seeing where it will take you rather than calculating, is this the right path? Hmm. Uh, that's kind of been a guiding principle of my life as well. So Close it seems like your guiding principle was more of why not than asking <laughs> and making a checklist wow. about why I should do it. And that I think teaches uh, you a lot if you uh, keep on doing things and keep learning from your experiences so sounds like a lot of fun and you were definitely not scared to take those risks and 
sounds interesting that uh, a bollywood producer has built a solar uh, farm somewhere <laughs> that we can go and check out that's nice to hear yeah and uh, you know i think a lot of people believe that they should choose one sector build up their expertise in a particular domain and that's what will give them a great career path uh, but after trying your hands at many many ventures and i think somewhere in the middle he was selling ice cream to generally in goa to set up an ice cream business which is not talking about what did diversity teach you do you think that's the reason you are the entrepreneur that you are today oh yes i think the main thing is that um going back to what i said earlier it's not as scary as it seems you know i don't i do believe that fear is one of the strongest most powerful things that hold us back there's this great uh, quote from marcus aurelius one of my favorite philosophers the roman emperor uh, wrote this book called meditations and i read it as a young kid he says something like if someone has done something in this world there's no reason why you can't do it yes. it's a simple idea the fact that someone could do it uh why couldn't we and i was watching this uk rapper this uh, oxford rapper is a very funny guy on uh, on youtube and he was talking to the crowd after rapping he does freestyle raps at a comedy club he was saying look everyone in the audience here can do what i do you all know the words <laughs> it's kind of funny but it's kind of true i mean uh we all know for example how to learn something we all know how to find a solution or hire someone work with someone uh nothing is difficult per se so mm-hmm. i think it taught me that uh um that m- much of what we can do or what holds us back comes from within not from which industry we are or what mm. circumstances we're in yeah nice you are also a mentor today to many startups at the climate collective and uh, you know how crucial it is for a startup success to get access to the right mentorship at the right time um what about your entrepreneurial journey did you have any mentors along the way uh, who gave you some perspective before jumping in and who would you consider as a mentor i'm very very upset that i was not born 10 to 20 years later because <laughs> the world was so different back then the idea that a uh, accelerator that's what we do mm-hmm. uh, that a group of people will say let me help you understand you know with some training connections help you raise funds find clients for free mostly for free it's uh, unbelievable i mean back mm. back uh, when i started uh, nothing like this existed having said that of course many people do have mentors or have had mentors for uh, for generations it's not a new concept it was never professional or structured like we have today unfortunately i did not have but i did have something it sounds kind of cheesy now but um i read a lot of biographies as a kid mm. and it was mm. the uh, my heroes were abraham lincoln Alexander the Great, Swami Vivekananda. There's so many and when you and I believe that you can learn a lot from biographies if you don't have that uh, access mm-hmm. to a, a mentor as well. Sometimes it doesn't matter how you get access. A mentor yeah. is there to, to yeah. give you guidance and help. And and they have uh, I think in terms of my growing up and what I had access to, which is biographies, maybe it was in those encyclopedias. Uh, it really helped me uh think about keeping things in perspective and knowing that uh we all go through troubles oftentimes we go to a mentor when we need help and and oftentimes we also can learn the same from biographies as well no yeah. but, but entrepreneurship can be such a lonely journey right so you don't have anybody who you could talk your uh you know some things that you were going through in your startup were there were there people along the way that gave you perspective apart from of course these wonderful biographies which i know that you you still remember and you've inculcated those learnings completely well of course i mean family and friends always plays a role 
in this, especially in, in hard times. Uh, having said that, you can't keep going back to the same person to strategize about anything, <laughs> but you can't go back. So I can't go back to, uh, I think my wife more than 10 times uh, a month to say, here's a problem I'm facing, even mm. if I need it. That's mm. okay. But I, uh, you do need some, find some strength from somewhere. And in fact, uh, you know, my uh, family's been quite strong over the mm. years. And I've, uh, you know, uh, I've done some, I wouldn't say crazy stuff, but stuff that did not seem promising when I started. It only mm. was seemingly mm. after I had some success. You, mm. you need to find that strength somewhere. It right. could be from a mentor. It could be from, from, from your companion or your family. I had some as well, of course. Uh, and all of us do. Yeah. When you decided to move to India, how was your family reacting to that? And you decided to move from banking to development. Uh, can you tell us uh, some of the conversations you had with your parents, your family, and how difficult was it to make that choice back then? I guess sum it up in this, uh, at least my parents, uh, what, are you crazy? You know, <laughs> this is 2000, uh, coming back to India, I was, uh, you know, I was in Wall Street and doing, having, having a good job. Development world, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, it's not for your know, NGOs and nonprofits, how will you survive? It was pretty intense as well, although, you know, they have been much more supportive than, than what I just described. That was the initial reaction. So any, any normal Indian parent reaction? Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in fact, I give you a sense. My brother, older brother, is a doctor, mm-hmm. a MD, okay. but he also does PhD. To which my wow. uh, parents said something like, "Why do you need a second PhD? You're already a doctor. <laughs> so it made no sense. You could be working, earning." So uh, I think, uh, especially uh, in today's world, there's so many more options than than our parents had. Mm. More, we can take more risks than they could. So maybe okay. that comes from there. But it was kind of funny, even even coming here to India in 2000, a lot of people are asking, why would you come back? Because even then, especially then, it was still mm. an idea that going out mm. of India was mm. where the better prospects exactly. were. Absolutely. Which is changing. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on, we have a small rapid fire for you. It's going to be quick. So uh, give us short and quick answers. We know you have a major wanderlust. So one place that holds special place for you from everywhere you've traveled. Well, that's easy. It's kind of funny. It's Goa, where I actually live right now. It was a place I've always come to over the years for, for many reasons, especially when I broke up uh, in my relationships. <laughs> I moved here uh, a few months ago because of COVID. <laughs> It is, a, it is a special place. It's, it's where uh, Dewey did hint. I used to sell gelato ice cream. Mm, gelato is okay. not ice cream, I guess. Uh, which was one of the most fun periods of my life as well. It's about 12 <laughs> years ago. It, it, mm. I think it, I would say go. Okay, I've nice. traveled a lot, of course. But. Nice. One key ingredient that you think is common uh, in all entrepreneurs across industries. There's, a, there's an old saying, which I can't remember because it's quite long, but it, I think it's persistence. I've seen so many talented people with great ideas. Without persistence, it doesn't matter. It's very, very few fortunate in entrepreneurship who don't have a, a near bankruptcy or multiple near bankruptcy moments. And you have to persist and survive. So I think definitely. Yeah. Persist. Yep. One quality that you value the most in people. I mean, in professional relationships. I love people who seek. Mm-hmm. I think it's curiosity. People, you, uh, I don't like the word curiosity too much. It kind of sounds cheesy, but someone who wants something more, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's because they're trying to solve a product problem or, or their own, or they're trying to, this entrepreneur 
find an opportunity or if it's someone even working, finding the right job is, is, is to always try to continue to seek rather than accept that this is what it is and, and um, not try. Mm. And uh, tell us what your next venture post Climate Collective is going to be. Well, Joey, you know that already. <laughs> uh, but uh, and it's very funny. I, I when I moved back to India, I was an Indian citizen, and I never gave up my citizenship, uh, even while being in the U.S. for like 20 or 25 years. Especially when I was older, because um, I thought of this idea when I was thinking about development to get into politics. Okay. I didn't know anything about India. I still wanted to. It's one of those strange things, you know, kind of those in the back of your mind, those dreams. <laughs> um, so I came here and I started to work and, of course, be an entrepreneur. And I never got into politics, but politics is not about getting into. Sometimes it draws you in at the right time. And when I see what's happening around, mm -hmm. I think as we do see the world changing, especially in terms of the climate change and the environment, green or sustainability is becoming more important and it's a hard voice to find in politics today mm -hmm. now now politics is not about uh, you know winning elections and being in power it's also influencing where we go and i think there's right. many roles for people interested in green green issues to be involved politically whether it's in campaigns activism politics directly etc but that's my uh, next venture right and what's it called the uh, you you have a name <laughs> I do have a name, of course. It's called OIP. OIP. Okay. It's our India party, mm. and our unit, I even have a party logo. It's a smiley face. That's really yeah. cute. That's what we need. <laughs> I think we do, don't we? Totally. Yes. Thank you for that rapid fire. It was very insightful. So, just moving on to the Climate Collective now and the work that we do together. Tell us about how you conceived the idea of Climate Collective. I remember meeting you for the first time when you were just playing with various ideas and meeting a lot of people. And I think I was one of those random people that you met over a cup of coffee. It's It's been such a long road from there to where we are today, building up the conviction of the vision. So just tell us more about that. Right, right. Um, it was as we started exiting the uh, solar wind business, as prices became competitive and we couldn't win more tenders this was around 2015 or so. Uh, I was interested still in climate and environment and maybe not as a solar wind developer. So I started learning. In fact, it took some time off just to read these um, IPCC reports. I mean, it took me like a year to read the summaries. And then um, 2016, something about startups, because I've run startups. We, we did a hackathon, India's first solar hackathon, 2016. Nothing really happened after. This is what entrepreneurship is like even, of course. Nonprofit is an entrepreneurial venture when you're starting it. Yeah. You do something, no reaction, which means no funding, no clients. What do you do? Maybe you're doing the wrong thing. And I still persisted a little bit. But as we started uh, working on another program called Climate Launchpad, which is a climate kick program out of EU, we started seeing a lot of interest and demand from entrepreneurs mm. and that was amazing and uh, we didn't see it from funders yet which yeah. we saw entrepreneurs everywhere from not just india but the smallest places from like maldives where we run our program where we have run our program the last two years and that has um give us the drive to continue to build mm. uh and after a while uh people started noticing what we were doing we started especially this last year is getting support from more and more stakeholders so it's starting to converge very nicely it wasn't the clear path Path, our clear plan at the beginning it was kind of a direction but I we do uh, as Dewey knows we do have a plan now because we've crammed a lot of work in, in a few years <laughs> um, you know 400 startups I think right have come in through our accelerators in, in the last three years more than so 500 have, he's lost count <laughs> oh, I know. 
So now we have a plan. Back then it was uh, working to create a plan. And it, it's a 77 country plan. I was used to be so embarrassed to tell people we're going to go in 77 countries. Um, how much work there is in front of us over the next five years. I guess that's a good and bad thing. So yeah. what does a typical day in your life uh, look like as a founder? You were saying about a lot of work that you have planned to do. And I know Zoe is always super busy not being a founder. So <laughs> how, how does uh, your day pan out generally? I think uh, Joey is getting the short end of the stick because she's kind of like a founder without without getting the credit. That small team at the beginning pretty much is a founding team because when you have to give responsibility to different mm -hmm. people, say, look, we need to build this out and I can't plan it out, help me plan it out, help me create it, figure it out. Kind of sounds like a founding team, even if someone comes in later. But I can share uh, what my life is like. This is reminds me first of a story of a friend of mine who runs this e-commerce site here in Bombay for the last five years, raised money, I think series A, maybe even a series B, and has told me uh, this story once at a party that nobody here realizes that I haven't bought something nice for myself in five years. Mm. So there's always a, a myth about mythology about what it's like to be a startup founder. There's too much Elon Musk or, or, or Google WhatsApp stories out <laughs> there, but the vast number of entrepreneurs, the successful ones too, uh, perhaps live differently mm -hmm. so waking up of course uh, i have to wake up and you have to uh, i have kids so it's a little bit different for me if i don't wake up they're going to be in my bed and waking me up mm -hmm. so i think the key thing uh, that i see is that the number of hours you put in as an entrepreneur is unbelievable mm -hmm. right if people knew how much i think a lot of people won't wouldn't have made that choice but uh at least there are very few sundays i haven't worked kind of mm -hmm. sounds like my banking days now now that i think about it yeah I was going to say, is your Sunday free now? <laughs> I thought that was the purpose of leaving that job. One of the purposes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is something about uh, working on a Sunday for, for something you're building versus mm. working for a job you don't like. Mm. You know, uh, yeah. and, that, and you're dragged through that Sunday. Uh, yeah. It's still work and you wish that you had more free time, but you, are, you know you're building for something that you're going to um, either reap the benefits mm. or help you going forward. So, uh, you know, uh, especially an entrepreneur and, a, and an early stage like we are, you have to juggle everything, you know. Right. So my wife uh, worked at MasterCard for many years and she became an entrepreneur 12 months ago or so. Uh, and she just can't believe the difference in one, the amount of work. Hmm. Everyone at MasterCard works hard, but the amount of work and all the things she has to do. There's no mm -hmm. IT team that says, okay, this is uh, this problem's pending. Can you solve it? There's no yeah. let's hire a consultant, figure mm -hmm. out a solution. And next week we'll have a meeting with a consultant. Mm -hmm. It is pretty much quasi-firefighting mm -hmm. every day to um, doing everything from, from strategy to stapling. So I think mm -hmm. it's it's not, not for everyone. Um, secretly, I do like it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, even though I complain as well, my very first hire was my uh, uh, maid's son in 2009 in the clean tech business. Mm -hmm. And very first day, he, he showed up late, like two hours late. <laughs> you know, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, first opportunity to work in an office, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't have a college degree, all that stuff. Now he's basically uh, Sachin. Sachin is basically handling our IT involved in some of our programs as program support, talking to clients globally. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So indirectly being involved in his journey or his development is also part of this idea of building. It's, it's, it's actually wonderful to see. Cause mm -hmm. I remember him as a young 21 year old boy or, or you know, 11 years mm -hmm. ago. Um, yeah. So there is a joy of seeing what you're building 
leading mm-hmm. to results or leading to development or or something positive yeah it's it's been an amazing journey i think for all of the and the entire team the, the small team that we started off with including me so we've been talking a lot about climate collective and helping startups um so can you just tell us about what you do at the climate collective for anybody uninitiated in the space um what is an accelerator how are you helping startups right right so startups um it's a very difficult process to become an uh, to to do a startup you know to to develop a product, to find customers, to find funding, hire a team. In fact, uh, for most people, uh, almost nobody has this full set of skills or experience, right? especially mm-hmm. obviously, but almost by definition, first time entrepreneur. We mm-hmm. normally come from a job where we play a role, sales or research, or in some cases coming from school where you study something, you don't have that gamut or that wide set of skills and experience needed to, to set up a startup. So what an accelerator does and an incubator, these are startup support programs, they help entrepreneurs fill in those gaps with training, right? How do I do a financial model? Okay, let's let's see and try to help you build a financial model and the skills to, to develop your models going forward or finding it going forward. Mm. How do I talk to customers? Well, okay, let's try some uh, practice where we have mock pitches, right? And you practice and you get feedback from from uh from trainers or from mentors etc uh, so there's a lot of capacity building basically training uh that 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 helps a lot of people and we all need it yeah. excuse me almost all of us need it the uh other thing that accelerators do uh, which is i think um quite valuable as well is we help connect the startup to to others now uh, as a uh, entrepreneur maybe in a very amazing entrepreneur let's say they want to approach a big F, uh, FMCG company, right? Yeah. That's a daunting thing. Plus, it's very it's bureaucratically hard to do. Like you know, everyone's busy at an FMCG. When I go to that same FMCG, I say I work with startups. I work with a lot of startups in this space. They will invest the time many in many cases to build this relationship with me because they can continue to interact with the startup world. So we have advantages in in building relationships to corporates, to governments to investors, and we try to share that with startups. So the other major thing besides capacity building is connecting to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, investors and, and uh, corporates and, and governments and, and others. I guess those are two main functions of a startup support program. Yeah. It uh-huh. is uh, it is quite interesting. And I, I just like to say that, you know, once in one of these, um, boot camps uh, in one of the accelerator programs, I met this one startup and, and he said, uh, is this what you do for a living? Uh, so I said, yes. And he's like, that's amazing. You know, day after day, I just have to work at my own startup nonstop, that one product I'm selling. You're just meeting like so many hundreds of startups and working on so many different ideas. And you call that work? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was pretty amazing. And that's when I realized how cool uh, this is. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, what I used to say uh, tell a lot of people is in the um, solar world or in, in, in banking, hmm. when we created a deal or closed the deal, we would celebrate. Yeah. And we'd have some fancy party. When uh, in, in Climate Launchpad, either about in 2019, this, I forget the name of this startup, 
but uh, he had created this um, cartons for packaging some sustainable product for shipping. And he told, he called me or sent me an email saying a few weeks after our bootcamp that he started selling because, you know, taking this sales approach and talking to customers, right. You know, it really helped them go from a startup that was stuck, you know, uh, to, to actually moving forward very fast. And it's that same high. I think you often see when, when uh, for, for teachers who see their, their students develop and, and uh, get, you know, solve a problem. They can't figure this out few weeks later they've mastered the subject and and uh, makes you proud as well and i think uh, there is a similar satisfaction in running your own non-profit organization so you made a shift from a for-profit banking world to a non-profit world uh, what drove you to uh, to take that decision and how different it is you would think that uh, from building a for-profit especially in the sustainability space uh, and can you maybe bust some of the myths about building a nonprofit organization. Right. So this trans, this idea of for profit and nonprofit, it's kind of interesting because at different stages in life, uh, people change. Some people, uh, for example, are attracted to nonprofit from the very beginning. Hmm. Some people are never throughout their career. Okay. But for, for, for example, for me, especially after having um, worked for a while and, and, also had a lot of success and seen what's out there. I realized later in life what, what was important for me. And uh, I realized also in that first year how non-interesting just making money was too. As I told you from, from mm. the peaking days, I was like, this can't be what life is about. For me, the transition from for-profit and non-profit, as long as it was a sustainable venture, did not feel too different, mm. right? Now, when I say nonprofit, uh, um, you know, uh, we, we do sell things, of course, here we do, we raise money, but we also have sales, but our, our mm-hmm. intent is for development. So I, the only difference is that you can't make a fortune in nonprofit and, and take it in the bank and retire early, to which I would say, why would you want to anyway? Right? <laughs> and I've, I've, I remember the good old days, you know, when uh, we used to go on these trips, uh, um, in college you didn't need much to have the most amazing experiences in this world so i i do i wish i, I read this book uh, by tim ferris the four hour work week when i was younger mm. because I, I believe it i mean our goal is you know is really about experiences not about hoarding things and you know um you can't take you know you can't take the bank to the grave and uh, my kids of course you always think about kids and their future stability but i think they'll be fine as well I think we overdo <laughs> all of this stuff. So this transition has not been difficult for me, mainly because I got, I was fortunate to know what I really wanted in life early. Mm-hmm. Once you do, uh, nonprofit world is amazing. You know, imagine your goal is to help people, right? Versus to figure out how to get more sales. I mean, uh, it's very hard to wake up every day saying, oh, I need to make more sales. Um, great. Um, so, so let's talk about green careers a little bit. Um, if a green career aspirant wants to work with an accelerator program, like at the Climate Collective, what skills do you think they should have? And what are the job opportunities you think generally in the startup um, support ecosystem today? Right. So uh, sustainability, of course, is growing everywhere. That's for sure. I mean, that's something all our audience knows. In our space, uh, which is the startup world, of course, the, the first one is startups. 
there are thousands and thousands of startups and a few of the, uh, you know, a small port subset will be hiring more. So it's quite exciting to be working in green startups because they're, they're obviously doing something positive and, uh, and jobs will open up um, like in other startup spaces in, in the green startup world, we'll see a uh, demand for many people. In the support, the support ecosystem is smaller, of course, you know, uh, there aren't that many incubators or accelerators or funds, et cetera, but there are opportunities that are growing as well. well I think the, the one thing that I do see is that um, the, the demand for um, green jobs, uh, green sustainability sector is growing. So the better we understand things like, you know, circular economy, these are concepts that are becoming more and more complex. What happens is as you get, for example, you're learning about circular economy and then you're looking in the aisle at the grocery store thinking about every product. You're mm-hmm. thinking about the packaging and your sensitivity is heightened. I think those insights will get you better placed. I don't, I think the textbook approach is great. You know, you, you, we do need to learn basic concepts. But once you're, you're start to feel sustainability is important, I think the observing the world, observing the politics, consumer consumption, you know, consumer behavior can come just from looking and asking, having discussions, asking your friends, what do you think? You know, you think this is, this is real? Do people care about air pollution? Will they vote differently? Does it matter that tunas is really caught sustainably when if, if it costs more? This is the learning that could come from, from uh, really engaging in sustainability. And if I were hiring, I would I would take people like that. When I was a, uh, uh, we didn't have a uh, at at Harvard, we didn't have a um, business degree. It was a liberal arts college, but I think thirty or forty percent of us went into business. Mm. And when I joined uh, uh, my first job, and I think many of us, the the assumption was, okay, you don't know accounting, just learn it. Mm. That was not the hard bit. You know what? To, it's it's that 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 inquisitiveness or that interest. Is, is what people look for. And I think the same in the space um, mm. is probably the best education we can get right now. Just talking, asking, engaging as much as possible. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of learning to just speaking to and thinking about, as you said, because it's such a new field that I think the more you think and the more you just network and get different perspectives, that's what's going to help uh, everybody build up their profiles. Uh, but but just if I may be so direct to ask, um, currently we are expanding our team at the Climate Collective. Um, so just can you just tell a few job profiles that you're looking at right now? Who who is it that you want to come on board? Right. So as a uh, right at the Climate Collective, um, we do need more domain experts, people interested in in, for example, uh, plastic waste. There's so mm. much uh, interesting programs coming up programs that we applied for, uh, for funding. And we have, of course, we're, we just launched something climate ready for women in upcycling literally last month uh, or so. Uh, so we are running programs as well. So we are looking for domain experts in uh, across clean tech. For example, mm-hmm. uh, plastic data, uh, plastic waste and data is an incubator we're, we're developing right now. And there are lots of people, I believe, you know, with that, uh, that AI or ML uh, data analytics background that could be very um, appealing for us if they have an interest in sustainability or, or circular economy as well. Mm-hmm. In addition there, of course, uh, like all organizations, um, we, we execute projects and programs. 
So people who can who can run projects and project management, who can build coalitions and stakeholders and bring people together. These are those skills uh, um, that are kind of generalist, but uh, we need those as well. We need communicators, as as uh, Dewey, as uh, Dewey knows. We need um, to build a community because that's important for our ecosystem. So uh, you know, people can write content uh, and and cultivate this community. So it's quite quite a broad set of different types of uh, profiles we need right now, and mm -hmm. others like us in the space as, as this space is growing. Right. right, I'm sure that's very helpful to all the listeners and all the aspirants wanting to come into the space because it looks so exciting to be a part of it. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Pratap. This was an this was a very intriguing. Uh, podcast for both of us, Zoe and I, because uh, we've been, uh, we have seen this journey of yours and of Climate Collective very closely. And on a closing note, uh, I want to know what is your idea of success? How do you measure your progress? Uh, you've done so many ventures and you, you have had an upward journey for so long. And so how do you measure your progress? How do you measure your own growth? And what makes you satisfied at the end of the day? Oh, yes. I was, didn't realize these questions were going to be so hard. Uh, I, I know personally, though, um, more as, a, um, as me, as Pratap, it sounds kind of, I don't know if it sounds juvenile or, or at least um, something, but I'm always looking for excitement, right? So I do need that challenge. You know, I don't think... For example, if, if um, Climate Collective uh, does get to a stage where it's doing superbly well and it feels like just a little bit of growth, I think it's, it's already time for me to, to jump into OIP you know, mm. or something similar. Mm. But I am, uh, I'm not an adventure or excitement junkie, but I do want to do exciting things. I think that's also mm. why uh, mm. things haven't scared me too much. Um, that's 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 sort of my personality but i mean success is something different i mean um i think we'll never i think i will never reach something where that's that feels like a conclusion you know mm. you know like oh my career is done mm. and uh, i forget too but there's this um who uh and it stuck me as a kid too as a as a teenager he mm. was awarded the Nobel laureate for write as a writer literature and he refused mm. it and and he had a line that's it was something like, you know, uh, awards are for kids, right? Mm. And I was thinking, you know, that's kind of strange. You know, it was kind of shouldn't it be an honor as well? Mm. Right? So I think, uh, uh, but it stuck to me that you know, if if I was trying to reach a closure, then there's going to be. I, I think I'm, I'll end my career unsatisfied. That's one. <laughs> so I think uh, I, I I meaning I don't have a success criteria. I'm just going to continue to move forward. Uh, Dewey has heard me say many times until the until the long sleep she uh, <laughs> she finds annoying but uh, yeah I want to continue and continue nice this this reminds me of what my dad had on his work desk all his life uh, it said that um, don't be satisfied it is the beginning of your end so I think that's that's mm -hmm. pretty much what you're saying. It stuck to stuck with me when I was a little girl. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. thank you so much for the for your time and this was wonderful. I think we wish you all the best for all the adventures. I'm sure there there are going to be many, and this so. is just a start. Uh, for all the listeners, we just want to remind you that Pratap has graciously agreed to 
mentor to of our listeners so do apply i was i was just listening to this other one other podcast yesterday actually and uh, the guy said that uh, the best mentor uh, you should choose shouldn't be the biggest success in the room but it should be the one who has the maximum failures and is and is still a success in life so i think that's what you're going to get with pratap he's he's really going to be the best mentor so grab this opportunity and it's like free mentorship and you don't even have to be a part of the accelerator program so i think you should really-